Morning. Today we have the account of Jesus' passion, uh, everything from his appearance before Pilate uh, and his um, court appearance there through uh, his actual death, which is obviously, once again, quite a bit of material. Um, so there's a lot to go through, and I'll, I'll try and keep my comments short and try and get through most of it. But uh, it might help you out as Sunday school teachers uh, when you have a nice long story with lots of details to share with the kids. Um, then you've, you've plenty to fill the time in, in a sense, but you got to make sure you're prepared and ready uh, so you, you get through it all and uh, don't um, get uh, bogged down in, in specific details or anything like that. Uh, so our account this morning is from the Gospel of Matthew. So all four Gospels, of course, have the Passion of Christ, uh, the Death of Christ. Uh, but uh, we're taking it mainly from uh, the Gospel of, of Matthew. And remember that uh, Matthew's Gospel is written to the Jews. Uh, so Matthew, throughout the Gospel of Matthew, often focuses on the fulfillment of prophecy of the Old Testament as well as what is the kingdom of God. Um, and even in his death, we see a lot of references uh, to Old Testament prophecy, although Matthew himself doesn't really point those out. Uh, he does that earlier in the gospel, but uh, in the death of Christ, he he references uh, ways in which Jesus uh, fulfilled the Old Testament prophecy, but he doesn't tell us. He doesn't say, as it was written. Uh, possibly he just didn't have room left in, in the manuscript and, and, uh, or time. Uh, you know, if he, he pointed out all the ways in which Jesus fulfilled Old Testament prophecy in his death, it probably would have doubled the size of his book. Uh, so possibly he, he makes sure to include them, but he um, uh, doesn't point them out as such himself. So we have to kind of keep an eye open for that, uh, ways in which Jesus fulfilled Old Testament prophecy. Uh, another really important aspect of, of the passion, according to Matthew, is uh, the the righteousness aspect. Uh, Jesus, uh, in his baptism, he, he reminds us that he came to fulfill all righteousness. And uh, that's a, a term and a key concept in, in the Gospel of Matthew, which Matthew really brings out also in the passion of Christ, that Jesus came to fulfill all righteousness. And we see that most vividly in his crucifixion, uh, that he came to fulfill the righteousness for us, of course. Uh, throughout the uh, season of Epiphany in the church here, uh, we talk about Jesus revealing himself as the Son of God. And that's very, very true. He, he shows us who he is through his miracles. But uh, when it really comes down to it, we see who he is most vividly, not in the miracles, but in today's account, the passion of Christ. This is who Christ is. He is the one who came to sacrifice himself for us. Uh, the, the Roman centurion after the death of Christ is going to remark, truly this was the son of God. Uh, and uh, that's what we see also in, in the crucifixion. You know, it's one thing for Jesus to do miracles, uh, but for him to accept death in our place, for him to stand and uh, listen to the false accusations and yet not respond, for him to pray to the Father, forgive them as they're nailing uh, those spikes into his hands, uh, it, all of that shows us that Jesus truly was the Son of God far more vividly than the miracles. Uh, who among us would, would have been able to remain silent uh, as these accusations were laid upon us? Who among us would, would have been able to pray, Father, forgive them, as they nail uh, 
spikes into our hands. Uh, all of these things show us very vividly that Christ's true nature, his forgiving nature, his love for mankind, and his willingness uh, to suffer and to carry our sins upon him, uh, that righteousness that is fulfilled. Uh, starting in Matthew 27, verse 11, Jesus comes before uh, the governor. He comes before Pontius Pilate. Uh, and of course, Pontius Pilate asks him, are you the king of the Jews? Uh, Many commentators point out the the connection here to, to the beginning of the Gospel of Matthew. Uh, in the beginning of the Gospel of Matthew, the wise men come seeking the king of the Jews, right? Uh, and uh, now we have another uh, Gentile, non-Jewish person asking, are you the king of the Jews? Uh, the Jews themselves are denying it, but... Here in the beginning of Jesus' life and at the end of uh, Jesus' life, well, not the end because he's going to raise from the dead again, but just before his death, uh, we have uh, Gentiles uh, asking that question, where is the king of the Jews and, and are you the king of the Jews? Um, and Jesus answers, yes, he is. Um, but uh, didn't bother to answer the accusations that the chief priests were, were laying against him. Another important aspect of his uh, appearance before uh, Pilate is that Jesus fulfills very much the fourth commandment for us here. He submits himself to the earthly authorities, even though what the earthly authority is doing is wrong. Uh, even though Jesus himself is the son of God, nevertheless, as a man, he submits to the earthly authorities as the fourth commandment teaches us, uh, knowing that all authority is from God. He even, he even tells Pilate, you'd have no authority over me unless it was given to you from above, but it was given to Pilate from above is uh, kind of what is implied there, but Jesus doesn't state it straightly. And so Jesus, in obedience to the Father, submits to earthly authorities, e even though the earthly authority is not always right. Uh, and that's very important, right? We don't submit to the authorities because they are right or because they're smarter than us or because they're better than us. We submit to authorities because God has asked us to uh, for the sake of order. And so uh, Jesus does here as well. Pilate, uh, knowing that Jesus was innocent, and, and really this is Pilate's failure here, uh, Pilate should have stood up and said, this man is innocent, I'm going to let him go. Uh, but Pilate doesn't have the stones to do that. He's afraid of the Jews. And so he tries to wheedle his way out of it a, a couple of times. Uh, one of the ways that he tries to wheedle out of it is uh, with Barabbas. Uh, it was the... Um, the custom that uh, he would release one prisoner to them on, on the day of it, the or on, during the feast of the Passover, um, symbolizing you know the the forgiveness of sins that was theirs through through that would be theirs through the coming of the Messiah. Uh, the irony here, right? That uh, here is the Messiah, but in, they don't recognize it. Uh, so he tries to use this uh, to to get Jesus released. Uh, no doubt he thought to himself, of course they're going to ask for Jesus rather than Barabbas, this notorious uh, murderer. And uh, by the way, um, the scriptures don't really express the full the fullness of, of this man's crime. You know, he was a he was one who had led a rebellion and and, and caused the 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 killing of many people. Uh, so you know, who who are you gonna? have released the one who in kind of in modern day terms uh, the one who uh, crashed a, a plane into the twin towers or the one who who said some things uh con you know against uh, our god right um so Pilate thinks this is a no-brainer of course they're gonna going to ask for barabbas uh but um, he's trying to be clever and it backfires. Uh, they asked for Barabbas to be released. 
sorry, of course they're going to ask for Jesus to be released, is what Pilate's thinking. Uh, they asked for Barabbas to be released instead. And Pilate says, well, what am I going to do with this one then? And he's kind of flabbergasted at that point. And they cry out all the more, crucify him, crucify him. Uh, in the account of Barabbas and Jesus, we see a reflection of the Day of Atonement. In the Old Testament, the Day of Atonement uh, happened... Um, on the Day of Atonement, uh, they were supposed to take uh, two goats. Uh, you may remember this. They, they were supposed to take two goats. And uh, one of the goats, uh, the, the priest was to confess the sins of the people over the head of the goat and release it into the wild. And then the other goat uh, was to be sacrificed for the sins of the people. And uh, both goats, in a sense, are a reflection of Christ, right? Uh, because the one goat uh, would bear the sins of the people, and, and the other goat uh, would be sacrificed for the people. And of course, it's Jesus who both bore our sins and was sacrificed. Uh, so in one sense, both goats were a picture of Christ. But uh, there is, a, a, in another way, that uh, Barabbas and Jesus are a, or that the goats are a picture of Barabbas and Jesus, because uh, here we have the two goats, so to speak, and, and one is released, and the other one is sent to be sacrificed. And so uh, this, this whole thing uh, shows the, the fulfillment of the Day of Atonement was fulfilled in the death of Christ. Uh, in another misguided attempt to save Jesus from crucifixion, and that actually happens before the, the thing about Barabbas, but Matthew doesn't uh, uh, talk about this, he was whipped or he was scourged. Uh, and scourging was often a punishment in and of itself uh, to punish people for certain crimes. It was often... It was also often associated with crucifixion. Uh, if you scourged people, you you tore up their back really badly, and that just made the whole process of crucifixion so much worse. Uh, because you can imagine, um, it's one thing to be, I mean, crucifixion is terrible in and of itself, but now if you have your back ripped up uh, by that, that whip of nine tails, which, by the way, um, they they embedded pieces of metal at the end of those whips. Uh, so when they were when they were beating you with that whip, it would just you know tear into your back. Uh, so you have a bloody torn up back, and you have that pressed up against a a wooden cross, which was by no means sanded, you know, sanded, uh, and rubbing against that cross. That would have just made the whole process of crucifixion so much worse. And so it was often uh, associated with crucifixion. Pilate uses it as a chance to try and release Jesus. See, I. I beat him. I flogged him for you. I'm sorry. I said that happened before Barabbas. It didn't. Um, Pilate said, see, I beat him. I flogged him for you. Uh, surely, you know, feel bad. Look at, look at how bad he looks. Uh, surely you'll let me release him now. But the crowd just kept crying out, crucify him, crucify him. Uh, then the soldiers, and these are Pilate's soldiers, uh, mocked him. Uh, of course, they put a scarlet robe on him, and to make things worse, a, a crown of thorns. And they didn't just place the crown of thorns on his head, uh, but they s hammered it into his head so that the spikes actually went in uh, and caused his head to bleed. And, and hail, king of the Jews. Uh, they, they were mocking him, but little, little knowns to them, they were actually proclaiming the truth of who he was. Uh, Pilate washes his hands uh, before crucifying Christ. He knows he's innocent. He he wants to make that clear. Uh, to make that clear, he really should have just released uh, Jesus. But Pilate's you know taking half measures here, trying to uh, keep himself innocent uh, without uh, causing a riot among the people. 
but anyway, so he washes his hands of, of Jesus's death and the people cry out, uh, yeah, his, we accept his blood, let his blood be upon us and our children, uh, not realizing, of course, that what they spoke was the very purpose for which Jesus came. Uh, he came so that we would be covered uh, in his blood and, there, and thereby be safe from death. So they didn't even realize uh, the the wonderful treasure that they were asking for and what a wonderful blessing it is uh, to have Jesus's blood upon us. Uh, numerous passages in the New Testament speak of this. Uh, Ephesians 1, 7, in him we have redemption through his blood. Uh, Colossians uh, 1, 20, we are reconciled by the blood of his cross. Hebrews 13, 12, uh, Jesus suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. In 1 John 1, 7, the blood of Jesus, his son cleanses us from all sins. Uh, so, the Jewish people ask for it in, in their anger, uh, but uh, it, it's the, what a blessing it is that they receive uh, that despite their sinful attitude, uh, Jesus did die for us and his blood does cover us from our sins. After being mocked by the soldiers, uh, he was taken out to be crucified. And of course, uh, Jesus kind of collapsed on the way. The Carrying the cross would have been very, very, very heavy, obviously. Uh, they didn't usually carry the whole cross. It, that's kind of the picture we get in a lot of the Sunday school big books of Jesus carrying the whole cross. But actually, he would have probably just been carrying just the beam. Uh, so the, the vertical pole that went into the earth was probably out, already out at the site. Uh, but the beam that uh, his hands were nailed to is probably what he, he was carrying. But even that was quite heavy, uh, and Jesus hadn't eaten in a in you know since the Last Supper, so all night and. Uh, for a, a good part of the morning, he hadn't eaten. Plus, he he'd been beating, had been beaten, and was without sleep. So he's understandably exhausted. He didn't make it out. Uh, the soldiers aren't going to carry the cross themselves, though. They're not, they're not going to do work. They don't have to. And so they grab this man from the crowd, Simon of Cyrene. Uh, so this is he's from what's. Uh, now what we would now call Libya, right, in Africa. Uh, so he carries the cross for Christ. He's mentioned in all of the Gospels. Uh, there's a good reason to believe he was a believer after this and, and a part of the church, uh, reminding us he was obviously a Gentile if he was from Cyrene, probably not a Jew. It's, I guess it's possible that he was a Jew living in Cyrene, uh, but uh, they probably wouldn't have called him a Cyrenian man then. Uh, and so a reminder, too, that Jesus' death was for the, the Gentiles as, as well as for the Jews. They brought him to Golgotha where they, they nailed him to the tree. Uh, just a reminder that uh, when the, the Hebrew word or the Greek word for hand uh, is not the same as our word. When we talk about the hand, we, we just think mainly of the palm and the five fingers, right? Uh, but the, the Greek word for hand kind of meant the whole upper arm as well as what we would call the hand, everything below the elbow. Uh, so when it says they nailed him through the hand or nailed his hands to the cross, uh, that's not inconsistent with what we know about crucifixion, that they actually nailed him through uh, just below the wrist. And of course, if they did nail him through the palm of the hand, that would never have held him up to the cross. Uh, if you nail somebody through the palm of the hand and then people put their, all, all their weight on it, it would just torn through the hand. It wouldn't have held him up. Uh, but they, they would have put the nail right uh, through, right below the, the wrist, uh, where there are, are a couple of bones meeting there that would have would have held up against the nail, uh, which would have made it all the more painful because uh, it's going right through some nerves there. And then also they drove a spike through both of his feet 
and so, again, sometimes uh, they have pic the pictures of it make it look like his feet are resting on a little platform and the nail's going through that. Uh, that is also inaccurate. Uh, the feet, there was no little platform. The feet would have been nailed directly to the cross. And you can imagine putting a spike through both feet, uh, that's going to force, if your feet are forced, the, the bottom of your foot is forced flat against the cross, that means that your legs are, are going to be uh, at an angle, right? And that's going to make it much, much harder to use your legs uh, to push up to, to get a breath as you're, as you're being strangled uh, because you're, you're hanging the way they hung you by your, your arms would have put pressure on your lungs to make it impossible to breathe. And so in order to breathe, you had to push up, but you're pushing up against that nail in your foot. Very, very painful. Um, obviously, it just made the whole thing uh, that much more difficult. Uh, they tried to give him some uh, wine mixed with gall to drink. Uh, this would have helped to dull the pain. Uh, this is like a small, a little bit of a small mercy. Uh, it will help you out a little bit uh, with a little dulling of the pain. Uh, but Jesus refused it. He was going to accept the full suffering uh, for our sins. Later on, uh, just before he dies, he accepts it because now the payment has been made and now it's time for him to die. So he, he does take a drink of it later on uh, so that he's able to cry out uh, with his with that last voice, uh, as we're going to see in a little bit, but for now he does not. Uh, the soldiers take his clothes and divide them amongst, himself, amongst themselves. This was common practice for the soldiers. Anyone who was crucified, anyone who, any criminals who were put to death, uh, the soldiers uh, whose job it was to put them to death got the spoils, uh, whatever they happened to have on him. Uh, but we know uh, from the Old Testament that they didn't that they divided his garments, but not his his inner robe. Uh, his inner robe was made all of one piece. Uh, it was woven. Uh, so uh, obviously, there's two ways to make a garment. Uh, first, you can weave the whole thing in the form and size that you want it. Uh, but or you can weave cloth and then cut the cloth and sew it together. Uh, obviously, it's a lot easier to weave the cloth and then cut it. Uh, if, rather than to weave the whole thing as a, as a single piece. But when you weave the whole thing as a, as a single piece, it's uh, a lot more comfortable and uh, a lot more sturdier. You don't have the, the, the seams, right? So this was a, an expensive garment uh, that uh, somebody had made for Christ, obviously. Actually, our daughter... Kaylee has some socks like that that are woven as a piece without seams, and um, they're specially made to go with her AFOs because uh, the the seam in there makes is uncomfortable when kids are wearing those those AFOs. <laughs> uh, but uh, without that seam, then the, the socks are much more comfortable. Um, this was an expensive. It was it was expensive for us to get those socks actually, um, and uh, it would have been you know really expensive for for Christ as well. But he didn't buy this; it was given to him. But anyway, this was this was a fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecy that they they cast lots for his inner garment, uh, and so they they did here too as well. Uh, they crucified him with uh, two criminals, one on either side. And uh, we know from the other Gospels that one of the criminals uh, did repent and call to Christ uh, for uh, you know, forgiveness. And, and Jesus gave it to him and reminded him that he would be with him that day in paradise. But that is not recorded in Matthew. Matthew just records that they were both mocking him. And no doubt they were both mocking him to begin with. Uh, but later on, one of them uh, did repent. 
Uh, the Jews also mock him. Oh, you say you're the son of God. You say the Christ. Prove it. Here's your chance to prove it. Surely if you were the son of God, you wouldn't allow yourself to be crucified. And the irony of, of what they're calling to him is just uh, so you know, thick, right? The irony that the, uh, he's allowing himself to be crucified exactly because he is the son of God. If he had done what they said, if he had come down from the cross uh, and proven his power, uh, then he would have failed in the whole mission that he came there to, to be. If he had come down from the cross, then those who mocked him would have had to uh, accept death, uh, but uh, no chance of salvation, right? Uh, but Jesus uh, accepted their mocking and remained on the cross despite their taunting for out of love for them uh, because he wanted to save them and us from sin. Uh, and so he really shows that he is the son of God uh, just because he, he accepts that suffering, uh, which is a much harder thing to do <laughs> uh, than to prove your power, right? That's the, our sinful nature always wants to prove our power and prove that we're right. Uh, but Jesus doesn't uh, for our own sake. Uh, Jesus would have been nailed to the cross about nine in the morning. And about three hours, uh, so the whole crucifixion took about six hours. Uh, and then around noon is when we have this darkness that came over all the land. And about three hours later, after three hours of darkness, Jesus cried out, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. Uh, and it's, it's one of the few places where the Gospels record the actual words that Jesus says. You know, most of the time in the Gospels, uh, the most of the time, the Gospels just record the, the Greek version or the Greek translation or a summary of what Jesus said. Uh, but here it's so important, uh, they record the actual little literal words he used, and he's speaking in Aramaic there, uh, which was kind of a, a you know, Aramaic was to Hebrew what modern English is to, you know, Chaucer English. If you, if any of you have ever read uh, Chaucer, you'll know that even though it's English, it's uh, pretty much incomprehensible to, to modern English speakers. Uh, Hebrew and Aramaic were similar in that way. It was a a modern version of, of, of Hebrew that had gotten mixed with a lot of other languages. But in, anyway, Jesus cries out in Aramaic, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And here we see truly the cost of our sins. Uh, as terrible as the the beating and the crucifixion were, uh, those were not the, the full punishment for our sins. When Jesus told Adam and Eve in the garden that if they ate from the tree, they would die. Well, what does death mean? Death, the word death means separation. And so we often use the word death to talk about the separation of the body and the soul. The body dies uh, and the soul is separated from it. But true death is separation from God. Uh, and that's the true punishment from our sin, that God abandons us. And we aren't truly separated from God on this earth, uh, but... Uh, you know, if we don't repent and believe and, and receive forgiveness through Christ, we will be truly separated from God for eternity. And here Jesus accepts that true separation from the Father. This is the real uh, suffering of Christ on the cross. And not, not to diminish the physical suffering, which was very real also and very terrible, uh, but uh, the, the true punishment for our sins we see here when he cries out, why, why have you forsaken me, my God? Uh, and God the Father had forsaken Jesus on the cross, which is a mystery we can't understand. Uh, you know, if Jesus and the Father are both true God, and yet there's only one God, how is it possible that uh, the Father could, the Father, God the Father could forsake uh, God the Son? It doesn't really make any sense to us, and yet scripture clearly shows it.
Uh, those who are standing by misunderstand what he's saying. They think he's calling for Elijah. Uh, and uh, one of them runs to get him a sponge filled with that sour wine uh, and fix it on a reed, offering him to drink. Others say, well, let's see if Elijah comes to save him. But now Jesus accepts the drink so that he can cry out with that loud voice. Matthew doesn't tell us what he cried out, but other gospels do. Uh, he cried out, it is finished. And then, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. Uh, that word, it is finished, is one word in the Greek, by the way. The, uh, the English just doesn't really convey the, the truth of that last statement of Jesus. Uh, you know, it is finished can mean a lot of different things, right? Your kid, you tell your kid they have to eat their peas and they're throwing a fuss and they don't want to do it and they can't have the dessert until they eat their peas. And then they, they finish and say, oh, I, I'm done, I'm finished. Well, they're finished for now, right? <laughs> they're finished. That that ordeal is in the past is what they mean. But imagine the, the man who uh, created the Great Pyramids, and then they built the Great Pyramids, and they put the last block on top of the, the pyramids, and, he, and he, now he says, it is finished. That's a very different kind of finish from uh, eating your peas. Uh, the pyramids, when, when that man says, it is finished, those pyramids s still stand finished to this day, right? And uh, Jesus's "It is finished" has even more, uh, more of a, a finished nature, even than the pyramids. Uh, the the Greek past perfect uh, that or the the yeah past perfect that Jesus uses here implies that this thing is done and remains done and stands done for all eternity. Uh, what I have done. Uh, will never, ever be undone. Uh, the, the writer of Hebrews reminds us he died once for all. Uh, his death accomplished the mission he came to do. Our sins are forgiven, and our sins remain forgiven forever. Uh, nothing can undo what Christ did here. And this is the heart and soul of what we believe and hope for, isn't it? Uh, that Jesus died for our sins, and therefore we get to go to heaven. He died. It is is finished. And then uh, the truth of what Jesus came to, di to do is shown very clearly here by Matthew. He uh, recounts for us a couple of things that happened when Jesus died. Uh, the curtain in the sanctuary was split in two. Uh, and this wasn't just like a little curtain. This wasn't like the curtain you hang on your windows, right? This curtain was six feet thick. Uh, imagine six feet of cloth. That's not something that rips accidentally, right? Uh, so this was a very, very, very thick cloth, but it was torn in half. And the symbolism there is very obvious. That curtain is what separated God from men. Uh, the, the people who worshiped God were to remain outside the curtain. Uh, the, on the, in, the other side of the curtain was the, the mercy seat of God, the place where God dwelt between the cherubim. And uh, sinful man could not enter into that presence of God. But now, uh, through Jesus' death, that curtain is torn. The way to God is opened. Uh, and then the earth split open and the tombs gave up many bodies, many of the bodies of the saints. We, we often think of the word saint uh, associated with Christianity. And of course, these were these were Jewish believers, but the, the word saint just means, uh, you know, anyone who is, believes in Jesus and is therefore sanctified and redeemed through him. Uh, so these are uh, Jewish believers who, who had believed in Jesus as, as the Messiah or who had uh, believed in the Messiah, even if they didn't know it was Jesus, obviously. Uh, and they were raised from the dead. And so uh, in, in Christ's death, death itself is conquered. 
Uh, death is, can no longer hold us. Uh, death is the punishment for sin, but that punishment now has been made. And so uh, death can no longer hold uh, man uh, because uh, the, the sins of man have been forgiven. And many come out and, and appear to many in the city. Uh, this is also proof uh, of who Jesus was and that his sacrifice was accepted by the Father, uh, that uh, many came to resurrection, as well as uh, reminding us of what Jesus' death gives to us. Uh, namely, that it conquers death and gives us resurrection from the dead. And finally, as we've been talking about this whole time, it proves that Jesus is who he claimed to be. The centurion sees all this happening and is so much correct in saying this man truly was the Son of God. You know, the, the Gospel of Matthew talks about all the ways in which Jesus fulfilled the Old Testament prophecies. And one of the things that unbelievers will sometimes say is, well, Jesus knew those Old Testament prophecies and he just made sure that his life fulfilled them. But, you know, he didn't, he wasn't the one who crucified himself, right? That was done to him. Uh, you know, and even if he somehow, you know, even if you claim, well, he made sure that the Jewish people crucified him, uh, in his death, even in his death, uh, he is shown to be the Son of God and Old Testament scripture is fulfilled. And that certainly was not something he had any control over. So even those things that he had no control over, like his death and, uh, as we're going to see, um, his burial, uh, were a fulfillment of the Old Testament scripture, uh, showing that that God was in control and, and knew uh, and that the, the truth of the Old Testament prophecies and scriptures. So the centurion says, this, truly this was the Son of God. Uh, and we can see in his death the truth of who he is, as we've been talking about, his willingness to forgive. Uh, he fulfills Isaiah. Isaiah says, as a, as a lamb is silent before its shearer, so Jesus goes to his death silent. He doesn't object or um, argue uh, with Pilate or, or the, the Sanhedrin, but he, he accepts the death uh, for our sakes. And so that's another way he fulfilled the Old Testament scripture. Uh, the centurion sees all this and knows, oh, yeah, this oh, obviously this is the Son of God. And if, you know, Jesus' death proves that he is the Son of God, which it does, how much more does not his resurrection prove the truth of who he claimed to be, that he is the Son of God? Uh, Joseph of Arimathea comes, uh, somebody who had was one of Jesus' disciples, but he had been a, a secret disciple of Jesus. Uh, but now he... he throws aside that, that secrecy and, and asks for Jesus' body and uh, places it in his own grave. A very, very expensive thing to do. Uh, most of the Jews were buried in graves with other people. It's far cheaper to you know be buried in one uh, big pit uh, with a lot of other people than to have your own tomb, your own kind of cave hewn out uh, that you're you're buried in. Uh, but Joseph of Arathea is the rich man. No doubt he was carving this uh, tomb out for himself or, or maybe for his family, uh, but he gives it as a gift to Christ. His body is buried there. Again, fulfilling Old Testament scripture uh, that he would die with the criminals, but at his death he would be, you know, he would be buried, uh, buried alone. Uh, the next day, which was the following, which was the preparation day, well, sorry, the next day, which followed the preparation day. So the the Friday is the day of preparation. Oh, yeah, and that's, by the way, too, uh, Jesus died on Friday, the sixth day. There's a, a connection to creation there as well. Uh, that Jesus died on the, the sixth day, the very day that God finished all his work in the work of creation, Jesus finishes his work, the work of redemption, and rested on the seventh day. Uh, when Jesus, After Jesus has died, the the uh, 
payment for our sins was complete. Uh, sometimes people think, well, that he went to hell after he died. Well, he did go, well, he, he went to hell after he rose from the dead, not after he died. Uh, remember what he said when he died, into your hands I commend my spirit. His spirit went to God, the Father. Uh, the payment for our sins was complete at uh, the time of his death. Uh, so he, he didn't suffer uh, the, the torments of hell after he died, he suffered the torments of hell while he was on the cross. After he rose from the dead, uh, he did indeed go to hell in order to proclaim his victory, as we're told in some of the epistles, uh, but not in order to suffer more. So he finished his work of our redemption on the sixth day, uh, just as God the Father finished the work of creation on the sixth day uh, and rested on the seventh. Uh, so following the day of preparation, the chief priests, the Pharisees, they're worried that the that uh, the disciples are going to steal Jesus's body and then going to convince everybody that he rose from the dead. And the irony is that what they did makes it all the more certain for us that Jesus did indeed rise from the dead uh, because they posted guards at the door to make sure the disciples didn't steal the body. Uh, and so give us just one more proof, just, just one more evidence uh, that his body wasn't stolen but that it really was raised from the dead. So the very thing that they were trying to guard against they actually helped to facilitate uh, the truth of who and what Jesus was. So again, a, a lot of information here uh, to share with the, the Sunday school kids. Uh, for the littlest kids, you probably want to trim it down <laughs> quite a bit. Uh, I'm probably going to um, have a hard time keeping their attention through. Uh, well, we're on 33 minutes now that, that I've been talking, and I tried to trim it down quite a bit. But um, I, I know you guys are, are professionals at this. You'll do a great job. So uh, good luck, and or Lord's blessings on your Sunday school lessons. And as always, give me a call if you have any questions.